0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, good morning. My name is Hera, and I have the honor of reading our scripture for this morning. Um, Will you please stand with me for the reading? I will be reading Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend... With all the saints, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And now in Arabic. وأسأله حسب غناه المجيد أن يقويكم بشدة من الداخل بروحه وأن يسكن المسيح في قلوبكم بالإيمان بينما تترسح جذوركم وأسسكم في المحبة لكي تكون لكم ولكل المؤمنين القدرة على اسعاب محبة المسيح في كل أبعادها عرضا وطولا وعلواً وعمقا وأصلي أن تعرفوا قدر ما يمكنكم من محبة المسيح. Allahita fukukulla marifa. Dikaitam Tari u Billah Fikulli Mil ihi. Wa Lahu Kadirun and Yafal Akhtar Jiddan Mimmanatlubu Aunata Khayal Hasab Shidditi Kuwatihi al fina Finah. Lahu L Masdufil Kanisati wa filmasihasua ilakulli ajal ilal abad al Abidin Amin. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A field of dry clay rests before you. All moisture seems to have been sapped from the ground as it dries and cracks and splinters into a thousand different pieces. And, And a low dry dust rests upon the surface. And you can see the grains of sand as they begin to shake and bounce upon the ground, eventually rising and jumping as two armies head towards one another. The sun is crested in the early morning sky. To the north marches the Thessaly army, and to the south marches the Mycenae. Both armies with shield and spear in hand. To the west you can see a red rock cliff and to the east are green hills. These two armies are meeting in a valley of death. The two kings ride to the center to greet one another and to talk terms. The king of the Thessaly army greets and says to King Agamemnon, you can't have the whole world. King Agamemnon responds Today is a good day for the birds to eat. Let's settle this the old ways. Your champion versus my champion. With that, the king of Thessaly chuckles as he turns his head over his shoulder to beckon to his armies, Boagrius! And all of a sudden, his armies, with spear and shield in hand, begin to bang him. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, as a large man splits the wall. A man standing seven feet tall, pure muscle. Agamemnon smirk comes across his face as he looks back to his army. Achilles! But silence. A lone rider rides out to his king. Sir, Achilles is not with the army. Go find him! It cuts to a little boy entering camp. Waking Achilles from his slumber. Sir, the the, the battle is at hand. Your king needs you. As Achilles mounts his horse and is getting ready, the the young boy says, Sir, I've seen the Thessalonian you're to fight. I would never want to fight him. And as Achilles dons his helm, he turns to the young boy and says, And that's why no one will ever remember your name as he rides to battle. This, this scene from the movie Troy impacted me at 15 years old. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. I, I cannot think of something that has shaped my life more in my childhood. I, I wanted nothing. I mean, that one liner... No one will ever remember your name. I was like, my name's going to be no. You best believe. And, and the truth is, the truth is, if you know anything about my childhood, it, it genuinely was rooted in football. I, rooted in football. My family, we did not come from uh, high means. My family, my mom and my dad were committed to, to raising my, my sister and I not to no needs. And if we were ever hurting, not to show it to us. But we didn't have means. We were scraping by. We were coupon clipping. Uh, We were finding every which way. But my sister and I would never have known that. We just knew that we had a fight. That and 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 you know, being uh, a young boy, I wasn't the best in school. But it was definitely told to me by my aunts, my uncles, everybody. Justin, you've got no shot to go to college. You have no future outside of football. Football was put into my hands at a very young age. And it was, go, be good at, at this. And, uh, and I loved it. I loved every part of it. But you know what? By 15 years old, I was NFL bound. I was like, I'm going to the league. And, uh, and, and I was tired of wearing other people's names on my back. I wanted other people to wear my name. And so when I, when I, saw, when I heard this, when I saw this in the, in the movies, No one will ever remember your name. I took it to heart, and it became my identity of who I was. The problem is, three years later, this truly clashed with my worldview as I came face-to-face and met Jesus for the first time. You see, identity, psychology would tell us, identity encompasses the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one's sense of self. My identity prior had been in my namesake and what I, could, what I could become and how I would be perceived and the accolades. And to be honest with you, it wasn't a far stretch. It, I truly was on a path to success. And this identity, this sense of self comes to a clash as I meet Jesus halfway through my senior year. And I came face to face because the call was clear of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. This Jesus who though did not consider himself equal with God, he humbled himself by putting on flesh and dying on a cross. This Jesus who beckons all of his disciples, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. This Jesus who interacts with John and his experience with Jesus forces him to respond, I must become less. He must become greater. It is clear as my two worlds come face to face, if I'm going to follow this Jesus, I need to let go. I have to choose where my identity is going to lay. If it's true identity encompasses the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one's sense of self, then it is imperative that we do the hard work of uncovering where our identity lies and understand what that means for us. Because we know this world is broken, and when we we face trials, our identity is what helps us make sense of what's going on around us. This is why it can be said that someone's character becomes visible in hard times. It's not because of a moralistic ability to white-knuckle situations. It's the resolve of do they know who they are in light of the circumstances? So where do we have to ask the question, where do I? I have to ask myself, where do I set my identity? This is why we are in a series called Maker's Mark. We believe we are created in the image of God, that we carry his image upon us, and that our identity is rooted in him. And there are some inalienable truths that come along with this. There's a lot of people in this room this morning, and to be honest, I don't know all of you. I wish to, but even for those that I do know, some that I may even know intimately, I don't know all of your background, all of your history. I don't know your home life, your view of mother and father, your relationship, what you went through in your early childhoods, what you had to overcome, the brokenness that you've endured. There's a lot of people in this room some of you are checking out church for the first time. Some of you have just started. You're, you have a question that's peaking. Perhaps you're even here in challenge of worldview and you're just, you're just, you wouldn't identify that you are pursuing or seeking Jesus. Some of you are in this room and you're in midst of the struggle. You're here in spite. You might, maybe you were raised in the church, but you've seen brokenness and it challenges maybe the truths that were told to you as a child. And so you're trying to rediscover truth. Some of you in this room have been enduring, clinging to the, to the gospel and the grace and the truth of love in Jesus Christ. But, you're, but the, it doesn't mean that we're exempt from the brokenness of this world. So every day you give yourself to Jesus. The one truth, no matter where you're at, no matter your background, no matter your history, no matter where you identify in your relationship with Jesus, there is one truth that is true for all of us today and if you remember nothing else i want you to remember this you are unconditionally beloved by god unconditionally beloved by god no matter where you come from no matter where you're at today no matter what tomorrow looks like you are unconditionally beloved by god unconditionally we see these in the verses that we that we read today if we take a look, I need to start in the end to see what the claim is at the beginning because there's something that's hard about understanding that I am unconditionally beloved. There's something very difficult in that. One, to even believe that I'm worthy. One, to believe that I'm, uh, that I'm, that I'm allowed to be loved in that way. For others, uh, and in some circumstances, people have been hearing this a lot of their life. God loves you. God loves you. And you've been wrestling with that identity from the, from the very beginning. Some of you have experienced life experiences that maybe you're saying, well, my life experience would tell me differently. And so I'm here to wrestle in that. Unconditionally beloved by God. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19 points out this mystery. As in, it starts in verse 18, it says that we would comprehend the depth and know the mystery of his love for us. So here's here's what's difficult. Even Paul, even in our scriptures, it it reveals that there's a mystery that this is going to be hard to grasp. This concept of unconditional belovedness. And yet in the same in the same verse, in the same wording that we would comprehend it, there is there is something that is we can comprehend a mystery. We can comprehend an unknowable. We can know the unknowable. And so it brings a bit of resolve that isn't, we're just left hanging. There's hope. No matter where you're at in your life, no matter where you're at today, no matter what you bring in this morning, you are not left in, in just a blank mystery. God wants you and he's going to speak to you to help all of us comprehend this hard truth of unconditional belovedness that comes in our identity. Ephesians 16 through 17 uh, speaks to, well, how is it even possible? Because if if you're anything like me, when there's a mystery, I don't do well with mysteries. I'm like, I need to know. My wife hates it when we watch movies because from the get-go, I'm like, this is gonna happen, just watch. And you know, sometimes I'm right. And so then, of course, I'm validated to keep guessing. But I, I'm not good with mystery. And so when I read, there's a mystery here. There's something that I'm not going to be able to understand. And yet there's a promise of comprehension. I don't know what to do with that. So I, have to, I ask the question, well, how is it possible to comprehend the mystery? I, verses 16 and 17 actually set us up to know what it's going to take. In verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 3. It says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. And then it says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. So if The promise of comprehension, it's found, it's made possible in the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's found in Christ's dwelling in our hearts. If we would root ourselves and establish ourselves in this love. So if it's true that there's an ability this morning to unravel this mystery, if it's true that we can enter into this unconditional belovedness in our identity, but it's only made possible by by the strength of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of Christ in our hearts, then the truth is, I don't have much to say that's going to help you comprehend. Outside of the power of God speaking through. And so with that, I want to just pray for us. Because if we're going to heal our identity, if we're going to walk into this unconditional belovedness, our hope is only in Jesus. So let me, let me pray for us. God, we step into the mystery. God first, help us help us acknowledge and just step into the mess. Help us trust that we can't even be unconditionally beloved. God, help strengthen us. Holy Spirit, strengthen our resolve. God, for a lot of us, we are weakened by our history and our past. We're bringing a lot to the table. Holy Spirit, strengthen our resolve to know that it's possible. Strengthen our trust. Strengthen our faith. Where we lack, where we have disbelief, Holy Spirit, would you provide the faith? Would you provide the belief that we are unconditionally beloved? And Christ, we need you to dwell in our hearts, not distant, not in hopes of, not if we just take the right steps. We need you right now. As we open your word, as we discover these truths, Jesus, we need you in our hearts. Help us this morning walk into that rootedness to establish our feet onto solid ground. God, you are our only hope. Help us step this morning in just one step of truth, of trust that we can be unconditionally beloved just in our identities for who we are. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So there's a truth, and I want you to know that you are unconditionally beloved. And and there's three things, I think there's three things that these verses point out and what this means for our identity with who we are. And so I want to walk through these things, but um, it's always hard as as a pastor, as you're, as you're trying to, fill, like, okay, here's some points for, for those who are following along to, to write down or fill in the blanks and those kinds of things. How do I want to word this? And so, so it looks a little different this morning because uh, I just wanted some statements to be there so that if... And my hopes would be that you would hold on to these or that you would need these, like you would use these to remind yourselves of truths. So I wrote these fill-ins this morning so that later you, at any time you can look back and it's a declarative statement to speak over yourself as an identity. Does that make sense? So you are unconditionally beloved by God. And if you're unconditionally beloved by God, we are beloved and it means that if we are beloved so I am free, I am free. We are beloved, so I am free. And and we see this in our scripture this morning in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. This establishment, this rootedness, the fact that Christ dwells in our hearts. Paul in his language He's speaking back to a truth that Jesus himself revealed to his disciples. Back in John 15, uh, starting in verse 5, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. It's Christ dwelling in you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I abide in his love. Paul is, is bringing this back as he speaks in the rootedness, back to the vine dressing. As he speaks in and, and that it is from him alone, it's Christ dwelling in our hearts. And and even when I read this, I hear something that's conflicting, even for me, because I hear that I'm loved in that. I hear that Christ is saying, "I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to abide in you. And and as I abide in you, I choose to love you. And with that love, I bring the Father's love. You get all of the love. But I also hear, obey my commands, keep my commands. And at first, I go, don't these two things conflict with one another? This unconditional belovedness, and yet there's also a call of of obeying commands. I hear that I'm loved, but I also hear that I need to obey. And and at first, I could be conflicted. In fact, I remember a time when I was conflicted with this. But I learned a valuable lesson uh, when I was 27 that has helped me understand what appears where there appears to be conflict in an unconditional love, with also pursuing the the commands, pursuing what is what ought to be. At twenty seven, I remember uh, falling in love with my now wife. Uh, some would say as they recount the stories that I fell in love before that, uh, but uh, but I remember the resolve that I had in my heart the day that I proposed. We, we, uh, we walked out. It was a mile hike to a point at the Grand Canyon. I surprised her there because she thought she was just going to uh, lunch with her family, uh, that they were going to go to some lookout and celebrate that she graduated college. And, uh, and so I hijacked it, you know. And, uh, and so I drove out and I, tr- I beat them to the lookout. I, it was a mile hike with all these things we're trying to set up and, uh, and it was hot and I'm flustered and, and I, I, lay out roses. I actually had to put a rose behind my back foot to mark where I, the last point I was allowed to stand <laughs> lest I fall off the edge. And, uh, and I remember walking into this going, man, what is marriage? And I had a, a valuable mentor that, that spoke to me early on that said, to step into marriage is a commitment to become a student of your partner for the rest of your life. And so our commitment that day was a commitment to learn one another, a commitment to understand one another, a commitment to the other person. And along that path, I began to, to really wrestle with my own self-identity how am I not going to fail this woman? If I'm going to do life with her, and I know me, and I'm a screw-up, I'm not perfect. I can have a temperament. I can be self-righteous. I can be selfish and not think of others, but my own interests. I know that I'm going to let this woman down. And yet I'm supposed to step into love. I'm supposed to step into a forever relationship. And as, as we do in our premarital, we, her and I are conversing about what our view of marriage is, and we were resolute that, that marriage is a covenant. It is something that binds, it is something that we commit to that is forever. That, that divorce will never be an option for us. And, and, and so with that knowledge, there actually comes a lot of, A lot of power, a lot of ability, because with that knowledge, in a selfish heart, I could turn to it and say, if she'll never leave me, if she will never forsake me, then I can do whatever I want. I could lord that fact over her. You can never leave me to make demands in my home to get what I want. I can become a tyrant. I can say, this is what we're going to have. I don't need you because you submit to the husband. I could sit in my home and I can speak words and allow anger to come over me and maybe lash out with abusive language or maybe even hit her, but she's not allowed to leave me because we are in a covenant. I could use this this commitment selfishly. But what I learned in this is that there's actually a freedom in an identity that you are unconditionally loved. There's a freedom because What it also means is that if she will never leave me, then, and if my greatest fear is that I will fail, how can I ever be enough for you? That question gets wiped clean away because I will always be enough because I am her husband, that, that even when I try to do the right thing and, and maybe I fall short, that she will forgive me and that we can move forward. It means that I can actually, without shackles or without weight or restraints, actively pursue her in love without a, without a fear of ever failing. And I know, that, I know that a lot of you men in the room understand this. I know that a lot of you men struggle with being enough and being a provider and, 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 and always being uh, uh, the person that, that others can rely on, that others can count on, that superhero complex where we have to stand and go against the world and, and take care of everyone else. And that's hard as you enter into relationships with others, especially a marital covenant, to, to understand that you are unconditionally loved beyond what you can provide, beyond what you can perform. And so it is in our relationship with God. God does not lord over us his commands. God does not lord over us uh, to, 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 to be perfect. In fact, he was the perfection for us. He will never leave nor forsake He calls us into an unconditional love. And so as we look back and we see the words, you abide in me and I in you, he who keeps my commands and abides, it is he who loves me. It actually removes the obligation of performance to a heart of pursuit without ever being pulled back of, well, I'm not enough. Why would I even try and pursue you, God? Well, I sinned this one time. I can't even go to you, God. Those shackles are no longer bound to keep to keep those down. Those shackles were, were, were freed as Jesus defeated sin and defeated death on the cross. That, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You were chosen before the foundations of the earth, before creation itself. There was a chosenness that God... In, in, in midst our sin and brokenness our inability to perform our inability to earn love that he would be sufficient and he would be enough that our love is that, that all of love is rooted in him there is an unconditional belovedness that is in our identities from him you are free from the obligation to perform that's why Often in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that so often gets preached at weddings. I'm guilty. I preach that, those verses at weddings. I think they're beautiful. But that's why there's a language in there that says, love keeps no record of wrong. Because in love, there's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. God doesn't hold you to the obligation. Christ is sufficient. There's a freedom for your own self and how you view self and your own identity. Christ is enough. You don't have to do more. You abiding, you resting, you trusting, you receiving the indwelling of Christ, God, just be with me. I need Jesus. I, I need you, Lord. That is enough. It is the heart to pursue him in the ways and the walk in the paths to pursue the commandments. We cannot perform perfectly. In fact, I, I, when I counsel a lot of, of young people as they're uh, uh, trying to figure out, are we going to date? And there's all the pressures of the church. And they go, well, I can't just date this person because I got to work on myself right now. And there's all these other like, things that are going on. Uh, they're like, I'm just going to get, and I have to remind them, you're never ready for marriage. You are broken. You will never get to a place where you are perfect enough to say that you are worthy of being loved, worthy of being valued. You have to, it's just a pursuit. And so, in that same way, I see it in others as they as they try to accept this, this concept of I'm unconditionally beloved by God. Well, oh, well, I'm just gonna get my life in order first, and if I can just conquer this sin, or if I can just get over there, then I can enter into relationship with God, because then I'll be good enough for Him to actually love me. You will never be there. And that's the whole point. It's not on our own strength. It's not in who we are. It's not in the conditions that we set. You are unconditionally beloved by God. Period. All of you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. You are unconditionally beloved by God. And there is freedom in that love a freedom that allows you to pursue. It's the, it's, the, it's the mystery. It's what Paul has to address with the Romans when he says grace abounds. And, and, and then they respond with, well, does that mean that I can just keep on sinning if grace abounds? And Paul responds, by no means. It's not, there's not grace that you can live your life selfishly. It's grace that you can pursue freely. So I implore all of you pursue Jesus in a freedom that is you're already unconditionally beloved. There's no other response. There's a freedom to just pursue and be an authentic real relationship. What this also reveals to us, if we are beloved, I am secure. If it's not based on my performance, if it's not based on what what I have to offer, then there is a security in his love. It's not going anywhere. Verse 18 of our passage today says, Comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. There are dimensions to this love. There's a vastness to this love that is for you. And it's tacked on. Paul goes a little bit deeper, but he uses the same language in Romans 8, 38 and 39. As he says, For I am sure that neither height nor depth, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are his because he chose us, because he did the work. Our best efforts do not secure his love, only he does. 1 John 4.10 tells us this truth, straightforward, blatant. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You're unconditionally loved. So not only are you free, to pursue him and to pursue this this identity of being beloved and to love in response. But But that love is secure. It's not going anywhere. You can't fail him. You can't lose him. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that can be done to you that would ever take away his love for you because your identity is secure that you are beloved in just being you. Oftentimes, I do a lot of counseling, relationship counseling, and that could be dating, dating, romantic relationships, dating, engagement, marriage. But I also uh, will do workplace uh, for staff and, and, and staff uh, workshops. And one of, the, one of the hardest things for people in relationships to learn is that you're on the same team. It is a pivotal, pivotal part of being in a relationship. You are on the same team and especially in marriage counseling, to remind you are on the same team. What's it? What's your objective as a marriage? What are you going after? What is your identity? And you are on the same team. And how quickly do we impose our, the competitiveness that we have in our own, own self, the, the bar that we set for ourselves when we feel like, man, I underperformed today. And when we have that self-filter, we then expect that that's how other people see us. And so when I fail and I feel like a failure, then I think the world thinks of me as a failure. So then it, it turns somebody who was supposed to be on my team in my mind to now a competitive person, somebody who's possibly against me. If I'm not enough for myself, then when I look at my partner, whoever that might be, that, that I might th- see through a filter that, oh, I failed them. They must be against me. But that's never true. That's always a lie. If you're in a relationship, you're on the same team. And being able to just simply accept that truth moves you to a trajectory not only of being accepted, but of a plan. We can do this together. Oftentimes, I have husbands or wives, a spouse that comes to me and says, how do I communicate to my, to my significant other? And I say, did you ask them? Well, when, when they act this way, when they're, when they're feeling insecure, how am I supposed to speak to them? Well, have you asked them, what can I do that that brings up your validation when you're feeling that way? You're on the same team. Let them give you the tools to succeed. Listen, it's no different in our relationship with God. God is for you. He is for you. You didn't just join God's team. You didn't just join a world that says, okay, I guess it's all his plans, all that he wants. Do you not know that he is for you? That even while we're still sinners, he died for you, that he accepted you, and he's involving you, that you were created with a purpose, that God has a plan for you? He is for you. And it's hard because we spin this narrative that is so difficult and we are healing from a generation that truly taught where the church failed because we were teaching that God does not and hates people, types of people, things that we have to do that we have to be, we have to be this kind of person. We have to look, act, dress, talk, this specific, this is how to be a Christian and anything that falls short, I don't know about your faith. I don't know if your, if your salvation is secure. Listen, I'm not going to step that, Those are murky waters. But what I can tell you in the truth is that God is not against you. He is for you in every which way. He's so for you that he would leave his throne and humble himself to put on flesh just like you. That he would take on the image of humanity and tie himself to it forever. He is so for you that he, would, that he would experience death on a cross. God is for you. He's not against you. When you experience trials and, and tribulations in your life, it's so easy to be tempted to think, man, what did I do to you, God? What a lie from Satan to twist our life in the broken, sinful nature of this world to say that it was God's fault, that God must hate you, that that you're not a, you're not sufficient for him you are unconditionally beloved that has never changed god is for you it is secure he is he is on your team brendan manning would put it this way christianity happens when men and women accept with unwavering trust that their sins have been not only forgiven but forgotten washed away in the blood of the lamb you are unconditionally beloved by god we are beloved so i am secure and the third and, and final thing for us to take away in our unconditional, unconditional belovedness is that we are beloved, so I am full. I am full. First 19, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, we may not know the depths, the exact measurements of his height and depth. We may not know the depths, but we can trust that it is enough. And not just enough to get by, but enough to fill us. Because the truth is, Jesus would say that it is the thief, it is is the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus' own words, I have come to give life and life to the full. He is fullness in our lives. That's his promise to us. Jesus came to give life to the full. That means no matter the circumstances, the promises are that we would be in the full. I don't know what you're facing right now, but God loves you abundantly. I don't know what's happening around you. I don't know what you're dealing with internally. I don't know the identity crisis. God loves you abundantly. And I'll be honest with you. Right now is a very difficult season for myself and my wife. We're in a really hard season. And I'll explain this. There's no crash course. I know everyone's antenna go up whenever a pastor says something like that. There's no crash course here, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that I don't have a hard life. That things aren't really difficult right now. A lot of you guys know that we just had a baby. We're at five weeks with this little girl, this beautiful blessing in our life. Uh, but guys, having children is hard. It's hard. I mean, through the exhaustion, the sleepless nights. The, the, the way we want things to go, the schedule we set for her, but she doesn't want to do that while also trying to raise a toddler in the home. And it's tough. And it's not just externally with children. It's relationally with my wife and her to I. We're tired. And we don't always react or respond in the best way. When we're tired at 2 a.m. in the morning, you go, no, you go, no, you go. Well, I did it last time. And, you, and there's the temptation out of exhaustion just to simply uh, respond and do what's right. The moments that you can't, can't control. I don't know what's going on in that room that I come through the door and she's like, dude, I just got her to go to sleep. And all of a sudden I'm the enemy for walking in at the wrong time. It happens. It happens and it's okay. But right now it's tough. It's really hard. And, and and there's an easy temptation that, that, that pits us against one another. But, but listen, uh, This is where Kimberly and I have to remind one another and work hard because we don't respond well every time to one another. And at the end of the day, there's like a lot of, a lot of I'm sorry's to be had. I'm sorry for doing this. I'm sorry for doing that. And what we have to work hard at is reminding each other, I already forgave you. I forgave you before that even happened. I for, I was forgiving you while you were lashing out because, because That's what it means for us to be committed on the same team with one another. I forgave you before that even took place. And of course, as we speak those words to each other, sometimes she has to speak it to me more than her. Sometimes I have to remind her. We're teammates, we're both reminding each other. The the natural response is, what did I do to deserve that grace? What did I do to, to, to deserve that kind of response? And again, that's when we have to remind each other we don't deserve it. We don't deserve one another. Our marriage is built on the grace of God that supplies his grace every single day, that supplies his love for us every day, that he unconditionally, our identities are set that we are unconditionally beloved. And so how can I not unconditionally love? 2 Corinthians 4.16 steps into the mystery when it says, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Uh, I want to try and demonstrate this with a quick illustration. So uh, Eric and Danny, if you can help me out with that real quick. Um, There is a a mystery that is inside of 2 Corinthians 4.16. Don't lose heart. I know that there's a brokenness, there's a sinfulness around you. Uh, not only in your lives, but even we are still tempted to, to go back to an old pattern, old ways. We are still in a shell. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Uh, there is a promise of this unconditional love, but we're still, expe- part of the hard part of the mystery is that we're still experiencing the sin nature of this world. His kingdom has not fully come. It is here and yet, but still not yet. There's more to come. And so we can see, we can see that we are, we are in the shell, and as it talks about coming to, to, for Christ to dwell in us, for us to be filled by him, we can be filled, but we are still inside of a shell, a shell that leaks and seeps, a shell that, that, that God, I'm not in a perfect vessel, not yet, but how, so how am I supposed to experience fullness? How am I supposed to experience fullness if there's, if, if there's still brokenness? You see, in his, in his, when, when he says, I am the vine, you can do nothing apart from me. Yeah, if we were left to our own devices, but yet God is the living water that abundantly fills, and he's not going anywhere. He's just constantly filling. No matter the leak, no matter what's happening, God is constantly filling. And, and if, the, if the hose was enough for me this morning to get into this room, I'd show you what, it, what it's like when water doesn't run out. And it just constantly pours and it constantly goes. You see, we might be in a shell. There, we may not be perfect yet. We may not have our inherited glorified bodies. I know that, that externally things seem, well, how can, you, how can you love something that leaks? How can you love something that's broken? We're, it is Christ who provides the fullness. You are unconditionally beloved. Beloved. You are secure. There is no fear. You are full in him. I just want to close with this. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. My friends, I speak to you that you might know the love of God Again, to everyone in the room, not knowing where you're at, I implore you to step into his love, step into your identity. But to those that, are, that call Story City their church, to those that call Story City their home, I want to speak to our church for a moment. If we can accept that we are beloved by God, if 1 John 4.11 is clear, beloved, that's that, that's you. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Church, it's not enough for us to sit in this room just to be filled up on Sundays and to be reminded I am loved, I am secure, I can pursue Christ without fear that he is full in my life. This is not just to to make us puffed up. Church, we need to get outside these doors and we need to tell others about the love of God. We need to tell others about their identity. We need to tell others in a way that transforms their life. I pray that there was some truth here this morning. I pray that maybe there was some revelation here this morning. But this revelation is, is for all of God's people. Because the Imago Dei, the image that is in humanity, isn't just for those who show up to church on Sunday. It's for everyone that, that inhabits this earth. And, church, it is upon you, those who walk in the redemptive love of Jesus. There is an obligation to respond and to heal others in response to this love. Our communities need to be redeemed, our communities need to take on the image of God, that they would know that they are unconditionally beloved. But how are they to know if no one tells them? Go be the light into our communities. Go tell people that they are loved and accepted and tell them that it doesn't come from just me. It's not that Justin loves you. Jesus loves you just as you are, not as you should be. God loves you right now. Let us bring this unconditional love as a truth that pervades our our city. Church, we have to go. We have to go be the church. Have to. There's not an exception. This is the call of Jesus. Let us be a church that is committed to our communities. Let us be a church that is committed, that would be known not just by branding, that we wouldn't just be known for for some of the things that we do, but our city, our communities would know that this church loves them that this church is a reminder that they are accepted, that there is no fear in condemnation. It's why John can say, perfect love casts out fear. Man, can, can, can we start that truth for our communities? Let us respond, process in worship, and be prepared to be sent to love our communities. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you first loved us, that it's not on our own accord, that it's not on our own strength. God, it is because you chose. Thank you, Jesus, that you share in our image. Thank you, Jesus, that you do not leave us nor forsake us, that you choose to dwell in us, that we can be rooted, that we can have a foundation. God, help us walk in our identities without fear, Insecurity and with the fullness of God Himself. Help us walk in your name. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.